Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network with myself, your host, Silas Martin, my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And today we are just hitting a quick little recap of the last UFC card of 2022. Pretty okay UFC fight night headlined by uh, Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland. Don't imagine there's any fights going on this weekend since, like, it's Christmas. But um, we'll be getting into all end-of-year stuff soon. But for now, let's just hit this card. Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland was an okay fight. Jared Cannonier kind of just kind of actually had a pretty consistent pressure performance and like punished Sean Strickland pretty consistently for just like putting himself in weird positions despite being surprisingly hard to hit. Like the low kicks were definitely a big thing that Strickland really had to address because he was like noticeably getting moved around by low kicks. Uh, Cannoneer's pressure footwork still leaves something to be desired. He rarely even really got Sean Strickland out of like the logo. Um, and Strickland, you know, he's uh, he's very tough. And he tried his best and kept trying to throw back, but doesn't have like the power or mechanics to really do that much in exchanges uh, until like the fifth round where they actually kind of banged it out. And I think uh, Strickland was able to catch Cannonier with like a pretty nice like right hook while Cannonier was turned away, which kind of put him on skates, but it just was kind of too little too late. I thought that both guys actually had a lot of leeway to make their performance a lot cleaner and uh make a win just a lot more guaranteed like i know that one judge gave strickland the fight which i i disagree with but like i i get where he's coming from kind of like the, the the issue for strickland is that if he really started pressing his advantages he would get cannoneer to start pressing his pressing his more yeah, and you just have to hang around more in exchanges where he's just going to be a huge power deficit, even though he is clearly still ridiculously durable. Yeah, he had to do his best to make sure that he was winning, but not so much that Cannoneer would uh, go all out, because if Cannoneer went all out, he would really up the chances of Cannoneer winning. And on the flip side, if Cannoneer just started putting things together more from the beginning, uh, and basically fought like it was the fifth round from the first round. He has the cardio to maintain that he keeps his power latent fights. Strickland's not a threat to just take you down and sub you. If you get really exhausted from that either. So worst case scenario, he puts a fuckload of damage on Strickland and then is tired. So I, I just thought it was kind of a, like an underwhelming performance by both guys, even though it was a bit of an overperformance by Strickland. I, I, just thought that that was overshadowed by it being an underperformance from Cannoneer because Cannoneer really needed to do more to seal the rounds. Like the fact that he even went to decision is a bit of an indictment on his style where he really needs you to just be vulnerable in, in a phase on the feet for him to get success. Like against Izzy, 
his his main success was whenever he started uh, like grappling and then turning that into punches. He he was never a grappling threat, but is he had to respect the grappling threat enough that it just made the punches come cleaner? And against Rob, he kind of just needed to land a shot on his chin, which ended up being like a jab that was the most meaningful offense he landed of the entire fight. Yeah, invest in low kicks and and jab with the jabber, basically. Yeah, which you know got him a reasonable amount of success in a fight that he was just like technically not really equipped to have any uh, like replicable win condition in. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess this was the main thing that I asked about this fight was like, how does Sean Strickland fit in as a Jared Cannonier opponent? And uh. I guess while I didn't think that he had the technical tools to actually be able to consistently shut Jared Cannonier out, he also doesn't like he doesn't break and just fall out of fights in the way that people kind of like you say, like you say have to like just expose some kind of massive glaring vulnerability to for Jared Cannonier to really start pushing his advantages. Uh, otherwise, he's just too lackadaisical in fights. He just like so much of his style is based around like hanging around until the other guy bounces off him. And that, that wasn't quite going to happen with Sean Strickland. In a strange way, pretty much every matchup the Canadiers fought up until now has, has had the fighter have like a glaring vulnerability that could be exploited over and over. It just takes Canadier a while this time. The only real vulnerability is that if you can get to Strickland's chin, then like Strickland just has bad positioning with his feet. Like his foot positioning is bad. He's tricky with his hands, but positionally he's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. He he has severe difficulties with that, but it's almost like less of a vulnerability than anything anyone's ever demonstrated in his fights before. Like Hermanson panics and he ducked into an uppercut. Uh, like Canada has too good a timing for you to have shitty shots. Uh, Brunson is literally just hittable and he can't sustain his win condition. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum is also really hittable and just kind of can't keep it up. Yeah, David Branch, same problem as Derek Brunson. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, Anderson Silva was just a shell of himself and got immediately destroyed by low kicks. Yeah, if you look at really all of Cannoneer's matchups, he'll have like one thing that if he hammers in from the beginning, he he could really like get himself a winning performance, but he doesn't always figure it out. Like against Izzy, he didn't find out his win condition was to like grapple into punching exchanges really in close to kind of seal rounds until it was already the fourth round. And by then it was too late. He was already down three rounds cleanly. So, you know, that fight could have been very different if he was pushing that advantage from the beginning. But you really kind of just have to make him have to try out new things before he's going to try them out. He, he's just not a good fighter when it comes to starting a fight with the strategically correct approach. He has to figure it out mid-fight, which is a liability at the top level. Yeah, and it's still like normally like moment-to-moment tactical adjustments that he'll make rather than like big picture strategic things that are actually going to consistently win him rounds yeah he's not the type of fighter to be taking the back foot and then decide you know what i'm going to pressure fight the rest of this fight really aggressively no it's it, there's just a lot of matchups in middleweight where he's a lot more likely to find sudden fight ending offense based on singular tactical reads so strickland really all he needed to do was just 
throws one two a bit more and uh i don't he, he needed to be teeping probably just something to make Kennedy's leg kicks less available but overall i thought Kennedy or uh, strickland did about as much as he can do it's just a rough matchup for him physically because Kennedy is so much more explosive and strickland is not a finishing threat against really anyone with a chin or anyone with uh composure i guess yeah, I mean, Jared Cannonier is pretty fucking durable as well. Yeah, I think composure is is uh, Cannonier's main safety in the fight is that he, what he did get kind of dinged, he was just fine. Like, it, he would kind of hop away for a little bit, but uh, Strickland does not have, like, the feet to be pursuing someone that he's hurt. He kind of just, like, drops down into a march, and he, I think he knew that if he really went for the way that he normally finishes people, uh, he, he'd just get check-hooked. Or like, like cleaned with an overhand. Yeah. So and I will like say the thing, the the other like the kind of the flip side of Jared Cannonier being extremely composed is I also think like wrapped into wall, so just makes him a bit um, lackadaisical, as I say in the, in these fights. Like you can be too calm in fights, and it can be a good thing that just allows you to stay in a fight and um focus on making the reads that you need to because you're not because you're just not panicking about being in a fight but then also sometimes those guys just don't do enough yeah it's a delicate balance yeah so that fight was okay uh uh, another fight that was okay Armin Sarukian uh beat Demir Ishmagulov it was kind of just uh, an ugly sticky wrestling performance but it was what Sarukian needed to do and like that's still not an easy way to beat Damirish Magulov so I was still reasonably impressed um, Armin Sarukian I think has been showing like more uh, consistently showing more like strategic uh adaptability in being a very well-rounded fighter and understanding when he needs to push certain advantages and not so much just having uh, performances where he feels like he needs to do all of MMA in order to win. Um, And I think the reason, you know, that most people were siding towards Ishmagulov was that it seemed like it was going to be really difficult for either guy to have a sustained uh, grappling success and then and you know if it became a protracted striking match then Demirj Magulov is like more pared down but like a deeper and um, more adaptable striker uh, compared to Armin Soyukian who has a bit more variety but substantially less depth and um, also a substantial like height and reach disadvantage um, so the, even the fact that he was able to get takedowns, which a lot of the time weren't uh, even keeping Demir in particularly clean control positions. It just meant that Armin Sarukian was always kind of the one who had the initiative in, in those like situations and that the scoring was going to air towards him if not that much else was happening in the rounds. So good for Armin. This win probably isn't going to do that much for him. Even, even you know, it's just the second time... Demir Shmigulov has lost in 26 fights. I think this fight kind of makes me wonder 
if Izmi Gurlov is necessarily pared down or if he's just limited. I think he would have a like what's considered a pared down game if he was in like a pure striking sport because he can adapt to to things well, but he's not going to bring out new tactics really or, or like very often. His game's mostly just a one-two, and then he can add some stuff onto the one-two later to combination. And he has a or, great one-two, and he can do a ton with yeah. the one-two. It's wonderful. But he is mostly a one and a two. Yeah, but in, in in something like boxing, you know, that's two of the six punches, really. I mean, there's there's more, but they're normally, like, I mean, you can count the overhand, but, you know, like, it, there's basically six punches, and he does two of them. So that'd be fa- fair enough if he was a boxer, but he's not a boxer. He's doing MMA fights, and there's going to be guys that are just going to have, like, weird shit that's going to kind of add variety. Like, his, his style's not very eye-catching either, so it's just hard for him to get decisions and shit like this. Like, I thought Sarukian won, but it's not hard for me to imagine uh, Demir just getting robbed because he has this kind of style where he's like, oh, I do one-two, and I never finish people. Well, on, on the other hand, he... Uh, came out on top of a very close decision against Guram Kutataladze, who is like an extremely explosive kicker who hurt him badly in the first round. So I think that that speaks to his ability to be a consistent round winner with such a pared down game. Yeah, I I think what makes me think that it's less pared down and more limited is the fact that he just doesn't have like flatly more variety in his game. In MMA, you almost have to have that variety unless you are so good at the one-two that you can only do that. I mean, he also will push, push a wrestling advantage if it's there, but he's like kind of getting to the realms of the lightweight division where there's not going to be a wrestling advantage against uh, most of the people that he's fighting. Look at his last two opponents. Good luck pushing a wrestling advantage against either of those guys. Even Rafael Alves, just on being extremely fucking explosive, gave him trouble. Pretty much. And there's also upper level matchups where he, he might just get submitted. Yeah, I don't think that um, Surukian's uh, success in the grappling was just off of being that good of a grappler. I think he's definitely a good grappler, but I think he just had a really good strategic approach, and I think his coaching staff is really well-suited to teaching the, the type of fighter that he is, because he's very coachable. Yeah, and that's what you want to see out of that kind of fighter. Is like Yeah, he, he's not a dynamo. He's not just going to like start doing crazy shit. You literally have to tell him what to do, and he'll do it. I think that Demir needs like more body work pretty much. Like I think that alone would be enough to make me not think he's as limited as he seems to be. That's fair. Cause like just having like a one, two is not a, like a limited game at all. But the fact that he doesn't start adding other shit, like, you know, maybe a long uppercut to the body or like you had a one, two high kick. Yeah, what do I kick? If he if he could just like throw a head kick onto that more frequently, or if he if he could like turn that into clinch offense, like throw one two as you close distance, then pop a knee to the body, just something to to keep you guessing more. But it's really just Serkian. After a certain point, kind of had Demir looking rote, uh, and it's really easy to make a fighter that looks that type that has that type of game. Uh, it's easy to get them to look rote if you're winning because then they just try and do their one thing over and over and over more. And he, he didn't really bring anything interesting out later as the fight went on. So 
it's hard to imagine he's going to have very much for the top end of lightweight where I think a fighter like Charles Oliveira would just punish his, uh, I think he would punish his uh, ability to get his back taken. I think he would punish, uh, how his game's just kind of a one, two. And if you can get past the one, you can normally crack him between the two. I, I think that uh, other matches like G- even Gaethje, uh, I think Gaethje's low kicks would make the fight real fucking rough for Demir, even if Demir's having s- success at a longer range. I, I think it's uh, a pretty reliable strategy to just get Demir to come to you because he is a little bit worse coming forward than he is at neutral range or going backwards, I think. I, I think it just has too many liabilities to allow him to run such a like a narrow game that he tries to play. Who do you want to see Armin Sarukian fight? I think he should fight uh, maybe Michael Chandler. Oh. Actually give Michael Chandler someone that isn't a uh, isn't just a old person that's also going to Just a name? Him. Yeah. Yeah, like stop giving Michael Chandler names. Like have him fight a prospect. I like that. Or not necessarily a prospect at this point, but like Give him a, a fight against someone that's also a unit. So let's see how well Saruki could actually implement this type of game that he has. Yeah, against uh, someone who's at least going to be ridiculously explosive and scramble with him for a, or like a round and a half. Yeah, like I would not be surprised if Chandler fucking buzzed the shit out of Sarukian. Or no. if, if even Chandler lost the first round and then came out and started fucking up Sarukian by making some adjustments. Because Chandler's a pretty adaptable fighter if you allow him into a fight enough to adapt. And yeah, nobody has an easy fight with Michael Chandler. No, like Charles Oliveira had difficulty because the fight was made difficult before he could actually uh, shut it down. Yeah, and also Charles Oliveira won't have an easy fight with anyone. <laughs> No, yeah. <laughs> this is the inverse thing. Charles Oliveira wouldn't have an easy fight with a dust mop. Uh, Amir Albazi knocked out Alessandro Costa. And, well, just dominated him the whole fight as well, everywhere the fight went. Um, solid performance over a guy who probably didn't deserve to be, be in there with Amir Albazi, coming in there on short notice after he had, like, multiple people pull out of this fight. Um, yeah, Costa looked much better than you'd expect. Someone in his position to look impressed that he made it that far. Albazi, I think, yeah. is uh, a little bit too much of a just let the fight go through the rounds type of fighter. At this point, he he kind of needs more like oomph to his game. But he he got the finish, so I can't really criticize it too hard. Yeah, he's been going for the finish pretty consistently in these fights, and I, I think this was one where because he's been. He's kind of been making his uh, money as a submission grappler in the flyweight division. And I think him just having a kind of outmatched guy on short nose, he was like, oh, just like get the rounds in, work on my stand up with this guy and like got the knockout. So f- fair enough. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, no. And uh, yeah, he's pretty good. Uh, I'd really like to see him rematched with either uh, Alex Perez or Brandon Royville because um, he's like clearly a contender in the making in a division that doesn't have anyone in it yeah. uh, and he's like he's like pretty fun on the mic yep. he's extremely extremely confident talks all kind of shit so i'm uh reasonably excited for amir albazi moving forward uh alex caceres knocked julian arosa the fuck out yeah in the real main event and co-main event we're going to talk about now yeah and like the actual fights uh 
So, like, yeah, not actually that surprising when you think about it. I guess, like, Julian Arosa, there's no, I gotta stop, like, trying to find rhyme or reason to when he does or and doesn't get finished in these matchups. Because the thing is, he just doesn't have a, a great chin and sometimes just uh, gets dinged and doesn't recover. And particularly if he gets dinged in the first round by some, like, shit that he just doesn't see coming, uh, yeah, he's just gonna be done. And it was a nice, uh, left hand into a high kick it was a real it was that real karate style where um he'd like basically already completely turned his hip over from throwing the left straight and then just like whipped it up it was all it was all chambering with the snap on the knee and connecting with the foot it was essentially like the stephen thompson dan stitch and knockout but like half speed it was a uh... Uh, it was a classic Julian Arosa versus a southpaw with a one-two head kick type fight. Uh, it, it, different position and different context, but uh, a southpaw with a one-two le- uh, left head kick got to be a difficult fight for uh, Julian Arosa. Yeah, it was like if Teru Ishihara was significantly uh, less athletic, but way just actually better. Yeah, and longer. Like Casera's hit with uh, the instep, and he is instep is normally a, a lot of fighters just whiffing the kick. So it, it is uh, it is a hard match for Casera's in hindsight. I thought Orosa uh, would have more success pushing Casera's back with kick his own kicks, but he couldn't really get that going off. And, uh, and he also kind of just had a slow start and got dinged in the first three minutes of the fight. There's not a yeah. tremendous amount to take away from it, and it. If he hadn't gotten dinged, then it probably would have been a pretty fucking rough fight for Bruce Leroy in the second and third round. But uh, this is a thing that happens in Julian Arosa fights, and this is, yeah, something you got to be aware of if you're going to enjoy his fights. Uh, but I, I also appreciate Alex Caceres. He's been in the UFC forever and always just kind of been a journeyman in the background that people never really take notice of, and he's actually kind of put together some pretty decent signature wins in the last couple of years i'd honestly i'd love to see him fight like korean zombie for his retirement that's exactly fight. who i was thinking right uh, i'd love that yeah that's an interesting fight because he actually could win a fight that he actually could win and is like reasonable matchmaking you know it's like enough of a name and, and a vet that ha- that is in the fight to give a Korean zombie like a reasonably matched kind of soft touch for his retirement fight, which he obviously deserves. So yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to see that fight. I, I think uh, Julian Rosa just has a weird issue where he, if you dictate the pace and you decide on a war, he could hang in there with basically anyone like Sung Woo Choi dinged him. Cause Sung Woo Choi is a fucking uh, middleweight. And hits hard, so like that'll hit, that'll happen every once in a while. Yeah, and the fight, again, the fight was a minute long. Yeah, generally, Julian Rosa, he can hang in there in a war, but if you sneak him with something, he's fucked. Yeah. Uh, I think the fact that he went into a hard fight with, uh, with like, shit, I'll, let me pull up their names. Jordan? Yeah, he went to a hard fight with uh, Charles Rodin and. Uh, Sean Woodson. I think those are indicative that he just has a very strange style where if you don't flatly hit like a truck or you aren't that sneaky of a hitter, 
you're not gonna finish him. So you you need to really sneak up on him. Yeah, I mean most of the most of the time it's just big power punches who 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 just crack his chin while he's while he's still getting his shit together in the first round. Yeah, and even then it's like Devante Smith dinged him because he's way larger. And then, you know, look really far back, Art of that was his first KO loss. You know, that'll that'll happen. Art of does not hit light. That's the thing, like Julian Arosa, it's not like in the fights that he wins, he doesn't get dinged. Yeah, like he can take a hit. He just can't take a hit from someone with genuine power. And he also cannot afford to get surprised by something like Alex Caceres is able to surprise you with. Hakeem Duwodu is just too rote and uh, also has his own shit liabilities. Yeah, but uh, it's it's still like a it's still still a weird thing to uh, look back at Julian Arosa's record and be like, wait, he like easily destroyed Hakeem Duodu and and Alex Caceres sparked him out with a head kick. It's just very it's very strange. I think that uh, Hakeem Duodu, Julian Arosa, and Alex Caceres have like the weirdest triangle of fighting possible. Because no, because yeah, I mean you brought this up before. Hakeem would probably destroy Alex Caceres. Yeah, I think you would TKO Alex Caceres with like leg kicks maybe. It, it would just be maybe. such a free win unless he got ju- just Caceres to stop throwing head kicks outright by countering them so much. I think he would Oh shit, I just take away Sorry, I just remembered much completely. This exact thing happened against Julio Arce for Julian Arosa yeah. as well. No, yeah, the, like, yeah, he just the, got this, this has exactly happened before. Pretty much. Yeah, like it it's the only difference there is that it uh like Arosa was in a better position to not get knocked out. He just got knocked out with Arce on the cage. And that's basically by a bantamweight we talked about. And then now the second time he's kind of just got knocked out by a bantamweight. Ah, this GCJ is what it is. Yeah. Not, not a knock on him. It's just, he has a, he has a very strange style. Look at certain patches of his career. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a miracle that he's, made it back to the UFC for the third time and actually put like some nice wins together. Yeah, it's very impressive. Um, and Alex Caceres, he's genuinely one of my favorite fighters and has been for a while. He's just uh, a fun-loving guy. And also, he's also just like, it's just what I like, genuine, like just Zen martial artist, like fighting is just, uh, it's just expression. Like, uh, you know, he he genuinely comes across as a very nice guy. Yeah, the the commentary or uh, Paul Felder said, you know, oh, you're so calm in there, and then because there's like, I'm not calm, I'm scared, like I'm I'm scared, you know, I'm I'm in a fight. Yeah, that's real shit. Like he's he's he just he's composed, and he's been there for long enough to where it would be insane if he wasn't composed by now. Yeah, like I said, he's been in the UFC he's for had like a forty fight career or something. Oh my god. Okay, uh, and then uh, Drew Dober kind of knocked the piss shit out of Bobby Green. Uh, but he got fucked up horribly in the first round. Yeah, this is probably my favorite fight this year, I think. Um, Bobby Green Bobby Green looked fantastic for patches of this fight. Um, something that like, we definitely should have like keyed into a little more is that Bobby Green, f- for as much as he is like, genuinely a very good defensive fighter and like what which is one of the most aesthetic defensive fighters you'll ever see in mixed martial arts uh, he gets dinged a lot like he he puts he's his he's he, not that hard to get on fence mm, and Trudeau will keep you on fence if he can get you there yeah Bobby Green is kind of lackadaisical with his ring craft and will just fight off of the cage 
and he will like put his feet together and lean back and turn away and like put himself in weird positions because he's very confident that he can just duke everything but you can't do that forever uh eventually you're gonna fight a power hitter who can really put shots together and well, particularly Drew Dober. Yeah, this was something I actually meant to mention last week and kind of just forgot about, was that um, in Drew Dober's fight with Alex Hernandez, there's a moment where he just, he's coming forward and he eats a clean right hook to the chin from Alex Hernandez that kind of, uh, that like spins his jaw and he barely seems to notice and just carries on punching Alex Hernandez. And Alex Hernandez has his problems, but he is, uh, anything but a light puncher in the first round. And Drew Dober, I mean, he said it himself, the reason he gets these wins is because he has Dadog in him and he will just eat multiple punches in exchange to keep going and find the shots, which I wondered if he was going to be able to, like, actually extend the exchanges enough to find power shots on Bobby Green's chin. But looking at the fight in, in retrospect, it was only a matter of time. But not to take away from... Uh, the performance that Bobby Green had because he was lighting Dober up. This was like the best kicking performance he's ever had. But you just sometimes this shit is going to happen. But as Drew Dober said after this fight, chase greatness, being perfect is boring. Yeah, I thought that uh, it was impressive that Bobby Green had enough depth to get Drew Dober to have to go to the length that he did to get the finish. Because he actually slowed down Dober's pace quite a lot in the by the end of the first round, like Dober had to really think about the offense coming back at him. And Bobby Green's not a huge hitter at all. He's uh, he's not pillow fisted. He's all about speed and accuracy. He's a sneaky puncher. Yeah, yeah. He has to. You have to run into a lot of shots. And Drew Dober is not good defensively. Um, no. Like flat out, he's very hittable, especially when he's coming forward. But that's fine because he can take the shots and then continue coming forward. He's functionally, d- defensively fine. He's got a fucking head like a breeze block. Yeah, he, he can eat so much shit. Like it's just not really a problem. Uh, but I, it was it was very impressive that he was able to adjust after Bobby had taken away his his ability to just kind of walk into things aimlessly. You cannot just bully Bobby Green into the clinch or into close range. You have to like earn his respect and be able to push him back. Also, I think there was a moment in the first round where Drew Dober kind of crashed into Bobby Green because I think mean, he he was just really frustrated with uh, having to close distance, and then like lifted Bobby Green, and as soon as they got to the ground, just lost the scramble, and Bobby ended up on top. And it was like, oh well, shit, won't be doing that again, and just had to be like so much more disciplined with his distancing after that. Yeah, very impressive performance by both. Uh, I was certain it would be a finish. I just was thinking Bobby Green might get it. But Drew Dober, he's a more reliable finisher. And and uh, Bobby Green, fantastic chin. But if you can hit him, you're probably going to hit him cleanly as fuck when he's in a terrible position uh, footing-wise. It, we kind of just got to see like Jared Kinnear versus Sean Strickland, if, except Sean Strickland's defense was flashy. Yeah, kind of. I also liked when, after this fight, and uh, Arosa and Caceres were walking out, and you were like, this is the same fight if they had, like, a quarter athleticism. Yeah, it, 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 it's just a very weird uh, fight overall. But 
it was a it was a ridiculous banger. It was like one of the better fights of the yeah, year. Yeah, if Bobby Green has to get smoked by someone, I'm glad it's Drew Dober because he seems like just yeah. a swell guy, and like what a, what a run he's had this year. Um, you know, coming off a couple of hard losses, he you know he beat Terence McKenney and Rafael Alves, who are uh, like their own varieties of not that good, but extremely explosive and dangerous one round fighters that gave Drew Dober all he could handle. And then, you know, being the only guy other than Dustin Poirier to finish Bobby Green on the feet, uh, who's a genuinely extremely experienced and crafty veteran who had a great performance. That's a, it's a nice little, uh, nice little run of three knockouts for, for Drew Dober. Uh, then old Jacek knocked out uh, Cody Brundon. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was funny when we did the podcast last week, I was like, well, I mean, by this point, the podcast was so long, we were really just running through the fights. Uh, I was like, Oleg Shejcik might get wrestled. And, and you were like, yeah, but he's pretty hard to wrestle. And I didn't have time to go, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you remember when you kind of just got like instantly taken down and submitted by uh, Jimmy Croup? Jimmy Croup's like three times the size. Yeah, exactly. This was the whole thing. Um, you know, he still got taken down and had some trouble in the fight. But I think uh, Oleg Shejcik just... Uh, finally actually just making the move to middleweight, which he has clearly been the whole time. But he's not even that big of a middleweight. He's like a... Cody Brown is just a small middleweight, I think. Yeah, Oleg Shechek isn't even a huge middleweight, but he was like a small guy who had to... who had to push a pace and be like... be like fast and tireless at 205, but he still didn't really have the cardio or uh, defensive grappling to back up that kind of style. Um, and would just run into walls whereas it seems at middleweight he's not even he's not like a huge middleweight but he's like something of a physical force and i think uh his power has translated well to middleweight so yeah i mean like he got taken down and was having some trouble for a bit but then cody brundage went to take the back and uh Oleg Shechek did the uh i will simply turn into top full guard and then knock cody brundage out from top it's pretty nice yeah, it was a. Uh, in hindsight, basically, if we had more time to talk about the fight, we, we would have stumbled upon it during the conversation about it. We'd be like, uh, Cody Brunch is pretty small, though. Uh, oh, yeah, OJ Trick has, like, dynamite ground and pound. Oh, okay, he'll probably, like, defensive takedowns and then, then uh, get on top and then finish Brunch really easily. And then that exactly happened. So, uh, Corey McKenna won a decision against Cheyenne Blismus. Cheyenne is not authoritative enough with her power whenever she has an advantage in that regard. And uh, Corey McKenna is very consistent and tries her best. Yeah. Uh, like Cheyenne Vlismas is too, just too formless and just looks for moments and she had them. And like, if you're just a lot larger than Corey McKenna and have the ability to kind of pull out some fuck shit, then you're going to give her, her some trouble. Because she is small and just not athletic. Yeah, sometimes workhorsing is, like, the key to winning. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, she she still had to eat some shots uh, on the feet just because, like, she does not have a particularly well-developed style for working around having the smallest arms in the UFC, even though she, she has, like, okay boxing fundamentals. Yeah, if she had some proactive defense... It would 
pay off so much for her. Like even just road shit, like a, a slip with keeping her hand up as she enters. I think the majority of her striking has all just been like working, having a nice, just clean one too. You know, like she just hasn't actually had that long of a career. And I, I think has just really had to just focus on having just solid fundamentals everywhere. So she's going to have these fights where she can beat people who, you know, it's the same with Vanessa Demopoulos, who she beat very clearly by just actually knowing how to do MMA, but it was still just kind of a struggle because Vanessa Demopoulos is large and weird. Matthew Semmelsberger uh, dinged up Jake Matthews a bunch. Oh, great fight. Yeah, couldn't get the finish because Jake Matthews is, like, uh, crazy tough, apparently. I haven't, like, ha- really had to see Jake Matthews, uh, like, dig this deep in a fight before. But he was getting dropped hard by, like, clearly one of the bigger punches at welterweight right now. And a fucking just a huge welterweight in general. And would always come back and was doing his best and finding good shots of his own. Uh, but it just wasn't quite enough. Because he got dropped really hard in every round. Yeah, this fight demonstrated something that's just very frustrating for me overall in MMA is that recency bias comes up so frequently in commentary and also just like bad ability to read a fight tactically. Uh, so what I mean by this is Jake Matthews got his second finish with strikes ever in his last fight before this. And then they were acting like he's just a fucking power hitter. Like Dominic Cruz. There's the, Oh, these guys have real power. Jake Matthews is not a power hitter. He, he hits all right. He, he has some snap, but he's not a power hitter at all. And he never has been. He likely, no, he just both. dinged up like, uh, one of the most hittable guys in the sport. Yeah, he landed some nice stuff on a guy who, like, literally doesn't have ranged tools. Yeah, and uh, Semmelsberger, I was, like, really confident Semmelsberger was going to fuck up Jake Matthews, and then he did. So I, I'm going to be a bit of an asshole about it, but uh, it was pissed me so, off so much of the commentary hearing Dominic Cruz say, like, oh, it's uh, right hand versus left hook. You know, Jake Matthews, you countering with that that tight left hook. His left hook was so readable and predictable that Sebelsberger just kind of used it as a trigger for when to throw his right hand. It wasn't left hook versus right hook because that implies there's a battle. It was the left hook getting consistently fucking smashed by a right hook or a right hand in general, not necessarily a right hook. Like he, he got dinged really badly because he has defensive liabilities in his boxing and he is not the type of boxer that he seems to think he is now after getting one finish. He is a good boxer, but it, it was just never going to materialize in a, a like a finish victory against Stelzberger. Stelzberger has one of the best chins in the fucking division, and he's a hard hitter. That's a terrible match for Jake Matthews. Jake Matthews can't get any sort of grappling. And as I say, going. he's a gigantic welterweight. Yeah, like Jake Matthews is uh, now a, a good size welterweight. At one point, I thought he was small just because he used to be a lightweight, but he really did like age into being a grown man in his UFC time. So he's not a small welterweight by any means now. But against Sebelsberger, Sebelsberger's fucking huge. And he is imposing with his, his physical traits. Like, he's very strong. He hits hard. He has a ridiculous chin. And he's really hard to discourage. You're not going to get him to, to give up on a win. 
just because you hit him with a couple jabs and left hook counters. Like, the reason that I got so frustrated hearing Dominic Cruz kind of just say the wrong things about the fight, it just seemed uninformed to me. Because, like, Jake Matthews, he's not a power hitter. And even if he was, you know, Chaos Williams... Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry. Are, you, are, you, are you questioning Dominic Cruz's knowledge of punching mechanics? Yes. And, and also his uh, questioning Dominic Cruz's ability to read a fight tactically. He's a very good strategic... Uh, I think he I think he has his moments where he's, like, a genuinely fantastic strategic commentator. But whenever it comes to like a tactics battle like this fight was, he's he just kind of doesn't know, always know what he's saying. Like Jake Matthews does not have a good enough left hook for him to actually have a left hook versus right hand battle against basically anyone. If you have a chin, you're gonna you're gonna beat him in that battle, assuming that you have any like hitting ability. Even if Selzberger wasn't dropping Matthews, he still was landing the the same shot over and over. Then as the fight went on, uh, Matthews kind of adjusted to it, but he was still getting hurt by the shot over and over. He just, the worst knockdown he received in the fight was like the second knockdown, I think, if I remember correctly. It it was a, a fantastic fight. Uh, I don't think Jake Matthews really had any business being in there with Selzberger, though. Just off of the, the size discrepancy, I think it's just a terrible matchup for him. And then, like, a tertiary issue that I have is the fact that Jake Matthews was a huge betting favorite. Recent bias. Like 225 Jake or Matthews had been out forever and then had, like, yeah, one specific matchup that made him look like a striking genius uh, against someone who, you know, is dangerous and was coming off a couple of good wins, but whose issues are pretty well documented at this point. It's, it's very frustrating to see. And also, Matthews was, like, kind of drinking his own Kool-Aid on Twitter after his one finish with punches in, in his entire UFC career. So you, you want to know what fight I want to see? What? Matthew Samuelsberger versus Steven Thompson. Oh, that's a good fucking fight. Right? Uh, yeah, I want to see Jake <laughs> Matthews fight. Uh... Look, kind of unfair because I feel like Steven Thompson deserves to get someone who's it's actually like possible to knock out because he's had to he's had to have these like striking clinics where he just uh, explodes his hands on people's granite faces. Yeah, I think if Wonderboy doesn't break his hands in the first round, he actually has a chance of finishing Selzberger. But that's such a fucking an unlikely thing. <laughs> like Steven Thompson is going to break his hands. He fights. Selzberger. <laughs> like, no, definitely, yeah. but he's he's also probably still gonna outclass Semi, but is gonna get dinged at some point. Yeah, definitely. I think Jake Matthews needs to fight a lighter touch again because one fight against a guy that's not even a light touch. Like Fialio is just an easy matchup for Matthews, and even that it, it wasn't like that easy of a fight. Still had to get to the second round before he got the finish. Uh, I, I think that they need to give him. Like, not a super light touch, just someone not durable as fuck. What about Michelle Pereira? I think that's an alright fight. Yeah. Uh, Rafa Garcia for Mahashante. Oh, he got cut so badly that he lost 20% of his overall blood. This was the most blood I've seen in a fight in a while. They were both, they just both had Rafa Garcia's blood all over them. Um, 
I've just started wondering, does Mahashante come out of the same gym as Sumi Dajri, or is this like a like specific subgenre of Chinese fire whose just thing is being like huge and dangerous, but like being kind of aimless and not doing that much, and also just having one name that sounds really cool? I'm not sure. But <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm going to have to look into this. I think Mahashante should go up to welterweight like it's clear being a size bully is not enough of an advantage for him to win he needs to he he just needs to be better he's very young and he's not that good right now i don't have any really like, deep analysis into this fight at all i like, no kind of just a sloppy banger it was fun yeah. it, it was fine yeah like it, it was they definitely both tried but yeah, like mahashante's thing is like it's all just uh singular extremely dynamic offensive techniques that don't particularly connect to each other and sometimes they'll just work but that's that's kind of his win condition but he is fun yeah uh said namagomedov but uh said yukub kakramanov and uh namagomedov got aggre- really aggressively pressure wrestled for about a round and a half and then uh, Kakramanov just hung around like trying to hunt a takedown that wasn't there for too long and got uh, got ninja choked. Yeah, it's the thing about Said yeah, Said Namagomedov um, he's kind of like wrestleable in theory but he's also a really good scrambler and it's really fucking hard to get clean control positions on him. And, and if you are vulnerable to any sort of getting your neck wrapped up, he's going to fuck you up for it. Yeah, and if you just wildly pursue uh, grappling situations at all cost against Saeed because you don't want to be stuck at range getting spin kicked, then you're going to put yourself in a compromising position that's just going to get you ninja choked at some point. Like, uh, like it's genuinely extremely impressive to just uh, strangle Cody Stamen in like 40 seconds or whatever whatever that was. Um, and like Hany Barcelosh getting a, a win that was mostly defined from control wrestling over Saeed Namagomedov was really a function of Barcelosh A, being able to handle himself at range because he has his own range tools and a good defense. Um, but then also the wrestling that was scored for him in that fight was mostly just him like circling around to the back when Saeed would spin and then kind of just holding on to that rear waist cinch and not being that worried about like progressing position and giving Saeed opportunities to scramble. He would just hold that kind of in-between position and just land a few knees to the thigh and then disengage and kind of just rinse and repeat that over and over again um, in, instead of just like aggressively shooting pursuing positions at all cost and then just kind of gassing out and taking her off the ball and getting uh, getting submit, which will happen against Saeed Namagomedov. Yeah, uh, Renat uh, Fakhredinov beat the absolute piss shit out of Brian Battle because Brian Battle is not strong at all and can't wrestle. No, no, Brian Battle's the whole thing of just being... Uh, I'll just be a, a crazy scrappy dude and hang around and just try my best everywhere is not it's only going to go so far and him being a kind of welterweight middleweight tweener 
is also just kind of rough because he doesn't have the physicality to really compete at middleweight or neither is he really like technically good enough to to compete at welterweight so i don't know he needs to like he just needs to like get on some good roids and do six months of sprawl training i don't know yep uh manel kate beat the fuck out of david dvorak this was cool uh, i feel like i should be more frustrated at manel kate for not being better than he is because he's like maybe the most athletic dude in the flyweight division uh but he's fun when he's doing his thing yeah it was a all right pressure performance but i don't know he he just needed to be able to do more yeah that is the story of manel cape's fights and particularly when he had like uh like not that much happened in the first round until he got taken down but then got a nice kimura sweep and then Ended up in on top and cranked on the Kimura towards the end of end of the round, but David Dvorak is just like stupid tough and wouldn't tap to it and made it out of the first round. And then Cape actually started finding really nice, like uh, aggressive counters as he had Dvorak circling circling away against the cage and um, like nice inter- intercepting shots as well. Uh, nice to see um, just like a ridiculous fast twitch power puncher go to the body as much as Cape was in this fight as well. Um, but then when he had won the first two rounds really clearly and the finish hadn't kind of just materialised, he was obviously just going to fuck around, just be an asshole in the third round. I was kind of like, you know what, I kind of low-key hope he gets robbed now because this is stupid. But, uh, I mean, he's just so fucking explosive. Like, if anyone's the flyweight Yolo Romero, it's this guy. (laughs) Guy who... Sergey Morozov. Karen. Uh, Sergey Morozov fought Journey Newsome to a. It was an all right fight, but it was a pretty clear decision for Morozov, I think. I actually missed this one. Well, that's the end of the card, and your audio is going all sketchy now. So let's end this one. Yeah, as always, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast and all the other great stuff that the the fight site puts out please consider supporting us on patreon where a pledge of just five dollars gains access to a huge library of really high quality analytical content and also access to a discord server where we have a great community full of really cool fight fans fun to hang out with we're always getting together and watching fights in the vcs it's good fun uh this has been the forbidden technique podcast um pretty good year of, uh, of podcasting i will say christian yeah we tried really hard we tried we tried our best and like i say we will have some kind of uh end of year stuff coming for you sometime in the future uh look forward to that and we'll see you then peace Later.